Waking up early, I'ma never be late Writing what I want, like y'all better Nobody, be nobody life is too good that they don't have they to play hard back, That's, that's the bottom line yeah. Nah, I never delay, nah, I never delay Play that type of music, make them wanna replay Nah, I never delay, nah, I never delay Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Coach's Call. I have an exciting guest here today. He's been leading the Barking Abbey program for over a decade. He's coached at GB level, BBL level, um, and it's a pleasure to have him on. Welcome Coach Lloyd to The Coach's Call. Thanks a lot for having me, Clive. I appreciate the invite. It's great to have you on today. Um, let's first start, actually, um, from the beginning. How did you get into the game of basketball? Yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm from a basketball family, basically. Um, my, yeah, my entire family is, is pretty involved. My dad used to play. He used to coach. My mum played as well. And then uh, within my family as well, my two aunts both played for, for England uh, at the time and for Great Britain. And my, my uncle was... Uh, the women's coach of of the Great Britain national team as well for a period, so very much as a as a child I was around basketball without really kind of thinking too much of it. I would I would go with my dad to games and uh, you know my uncle used to run a Saturday morning session and I'd go along to that. Um, but I played it a lot uh, alongside every sport really. Played football, played rugby, swimming, everything, um, and just gradually, I think when I was nine um in, in my town i'm from hertfordshire a small town called Ware. it's about 20 miles north of london and um when i was about nine in my hometown they built a sports center and and that kind of changed things for me uh gave me the access to be able to play on a, on a regular basis really they had a lot of basketball that operated at at the sports center over the years um and yeah, so because of that, I just started playing and got into the game and, and just kind of grew and grew and yeah, went through playing and, and then into coaching, basically. What was your first club? Do you still remember that, that club? Yeah, well, so I used to play a lot at, um, like I say, in where we would have a central venue league um, on a Friday night. Um, and then when I was under 14s, Dave Titmus started a national league under 14s team in Hertfordshire um, in Hemel which is about 45 minutes from where I was um, and a group me, myself and a group of my friends had kind of just played at the sports centre and where all went and tried out for for Dave's team and, and made the team so that was the Hemel Royals we were connected to the BBL team that was in Hemel at the time which is now London Lions um, as that's bounced around so so yeah we played for a year with with Dave there um, we made the national final four um, we lost in the final to the London Towers and then then the team essentially because quite a few of the team were from sort of East Hertfordshire more than more than Hemel um, the team moved to where so we became where rebels or where fire I'm not really sure, and kind of followed the, the same team, the same group of players. Um, as juniors, we played under-16s and under-18 National League. And, um, you know, alongside it, there was a, a Division One team that played in Ware at the time, had some really great players. Um, you know, a lot of players came through Ware and have gone on, or now their kids are now playing and, and are here, there and everywhere. Um, you know, it was a really good time, like a really good kind of... Uh, period of my life really growing up like being involved in basketball and as I got older I kind of played for the men's teams and and then you know moved from there moved onwards but yeah I was always playing for either Hemel or where with Dave Titmus as, as my coach and then my dad was Dave's assistant as well so I was going to ask um, were your parents quite heavily involved did they used to train you after sessions as well did they come to all the games and stuff yeah, so my dad, my dad, like I said, he was he was actively involved. Like uh, 
the the kind of central venue league we had him where he would he would play. He had a group of his his old boys. They called themselves the vets. So it was all guys that had played, you know, either national league or you know top league back then, all sort of in their late forties, fifties, um, all playing every week, running up and down. So he was always actively involved. He was the assistant coach when when Ware had a Division One team as well. So um, you know he always helped out. Um, I'm trying to think. There was you know guys like Mickey Bett who coached in the BBL. Um, then Mark Clark, which is where I first met Mark, was also the coach at Ware, and my dad was their assistant. And then my dad um, went and and kind of would have always travelled the country, taking us around, going to all of our games. He started to help Dave, um, and yeah, so he wasn't really the guy that would be out in the garden with me rebounding and shooting, but you know that he would take me everywhere on the weekends, like to all the games. He'd always drive us. He'd always be there, always watching. Yeah, he had a good basketball mind, so I was always, you know, you know, that's where I probably get it from. The conversations with him, kind of growing up watching, watching basketball on TV and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah, it was a good childhood. Sounds like non-stop basketball coach. <laughs> um, it sounded for 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 in the level that you played, coach. It, it, you went on to progress to actually get a basketball scholarship in America, isn't it? At the Indiana University of Pennsylvania, correct? That's right. Yeah. So I was, um, yeah, I played played as a junior. Like I said, we won. So we played. We we were a pretty successful junior team, um, despite the fact we were. You know, a bunch of middle class white kids from Hertfordshire. We used to do well. So we made the final in our under four, yeah, we made the final under 14s. Then we played under 16s and we won the under 16 national championship. And then we played under 18s and we won the under 18s national championship the year after. And then the team kind of started to disperse a little. So a couple of the guys went to America um you know and, and things like that i ended up staying uh and and i played you know through my connection with mark i went to play a year for the london leopards in the bbl well watched the leopards play in the bbl from the bench <laughs> really um you know i was young um yeah and had some good memories some really good guys on the team still around um you know guys still kind of involved in basketball that i speak to now had a really good year there. Then I, I played for London Towers, same thing for a year before I went to university in the US. And it was, you know, Billy Mims, who was my coach at Leopards, is now coaching at Florida Tech. Uh, he was the one who helped me go to, to IUP. Um, I, and yeah, I, I went there and I was always a, a decent player. Um, I, was, I wasn't overly athletic, which probably held, held me back. I was always pretty smart um and yeah so i went to america had some some good times there i was i was there two years before i came home um you know i see a lot of basketball england and people talking about that that group of people that go and don't quite make it and then they end up coming back um and i i'm one of those people and i had a fantastic time loved it thought it was great you know look back on it with really fond memories but from a basketball perspective, didn't really kind of work out for me um, and ended up coming back and, and going to university and finishing my studies in Reading, uh, which I, re I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, so that kind of was my playing career. After I left Reading, I, I kind of drifted out of playing and, and got more into to coaching, which was like a transition that really happened at, at Reading. So back to IUP, as it, do you think it's changed over the years or is it still that, that kind of, it's, it's such a difficult transition to go from UK to America? Um, it is a tough transition. What I, I, I would say generally the level of the academy structure now prepares kids far better than it did when, when I was of that age. You know, I look at places like Barking and all the, the academies in the EABL or even some in the ABL you know, these kids are getting such regular court time, ability to practice competition, which, you know, even though I was, you know, count myself as, as very committed at a younger age, I didn't have those opportunities. I didn't have the opportunity to be working out like every day. I would do it in my garden. I would do it, you know, whenever I could a couple of times a week when we had practice. But 
but that would be it. So I'd say the kids probably are generally uh, more, I would say that they are closer to the American kids than they were perhaps when I was mm. of that age. Um, and, and I'd also say that the, the level in the US is, is good and bad. You know, I would argue the coaching I received was not as good as coaching I received in England, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, there's certain aspects of the game in the US which are, you know, far superior, which I think are quite eye-opening to kids. You know, for me, the level of, of defense in the US was something that which was massively different. So offensively, I didn't kind of find, you know, great, great differences. But, yeah, the level of defense I, I found was was far higher. The tenacity, the workload, you know, just the kind of mindset of American players is is far different to English. And I, I think, you know, that's in order to be successful in the American system, you have to be the certain type of player, you know, there's so many people, it is dog eat dog, and that's the way their system works, is the best and the hardest working get to the top. So they've had to sort of fight their way to that position, whereas in England, you don't really have to go through that same struggle. Um, you know, and that's something that's always on my mind with kids going to the US, how how they adjust with that more more than anything more than the level of play or the style or, or, or things along those lines. It is, you know, you're going to have somebody every day going at your neck and trying to take everything from you, how you can deal with that um, and, and whether you're ready um, to deal with it for sure. It's, it's a huge mental challenge on an athlete, especially at a young age, I think. Um, uh, and a lot of, I think, athletes, uh, they don't understand being in the system in the UK, you know, where the coaches know you, where you're in a program, uh, can be more beneficial. That's what I personally think, um, which is, and I've, I've, I I played against the, the Team USA when they came here, I think around five, six years ago. Um, and I think one thing I can agree on, Coach, definitely as well, is that athleticism is is ridiculous you know from one to 12 on, on on their spots they all they can compete at, at that certain level um, and that have that athleticism and i was really impressed with the decision making they're very um, in terms of iq you know they know what to do at certain situations uh, very quickly and i think the speed of the game helps them in that way um so go uh, to the university of reading did you actually suit up and and, and play for the the university team at the time or was it just I, strictly studies? <laughs> no, so it was, it was pretty much just studying. Um, you know, I, I went to the University of Reading and, and didn't really do anything on the back of my sporting, you know, sports at the time. Um, the Bucks program wasn't really extensive at Reading at that time. I, I couldn't tell you what league they played in. Um, and to, to be honest, I, yeah, I opted out of playing one year, maybe my final year at Reading they um they had a relationship with the rockets and i ended up helping coach um but yeah to be honest i i remember one game i myself and richard wellings who was another player at, at reading at the time he also went to the university and i distinctly remember we played in one game and i was useless <laughs> and to be honest i lost this the game so i think that was the only time i played and i, I said you lot are better without me um <laughs> and i didn't play anymore if i remember rich played really well i remember dribbling it off my foot one time and it going out of bounds and i just thought oh what am i doing i'm, I'm, I'm kind of hurting this slot so yeah i'm pretty sure oh it's a long time ago now mm. i i think i coached my final year um but it wasn't anything that was that serious um, there was a lot of people that played at Reading, but it wasn't any performance element to it. You know, they would have once a week practice with 30 people on one basketball court, 40 people turning up. It was, you know, a lot of interest, but nothing was really done at Reading at the time from a sports development point of view to push it forward, unfortunately. So, so it looks like from in your, during your time in Reading, you, it was, there was a time that I think you were ready to transition into coaching. And there's a quote um, I remember... Um, I think a football coach said it. Um, no one wants to grow up to be a coach. No one ever thinks about that, right? You don't think of eight, nine. I want to be a coach. Um, so when was it? When was your moment, coach, that you thought, okay, you know what? I want to start start helping the community, start giving back to the game, and, and leading in as a coach. Yeah, um, 
don't know if I had an aha moment. I have a couple of things I can think of. Like, so again, in my hometown in where they would always have a basketball camp every summer. So I always used to go on it. And, and then as I kind of was too old to play, I used to come back and coach. So that was the, my first experience of coaching was just turning up for a week in the summer, helping out, really enjoying that. Um, when I got to Reading, uh, it, it was a way of me helping fund my time through university that I was, they have an extensive community program. So I'd go out into schools and, you know, babysit kids, essentially, <laughs> like give them some basketball sessions. And I, and I enjoyed that. And, and at the same time, I took my first national league team as well. So um, I was the under 14 coach at Reading and kind of didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and yeah, like just, yeah, got into it really, got into the coaching along the same side as, as playing and kind of grew from there. I, yeah, I was lucky when I was in Reading, I had some good kids like Danny Carter, who's just, just retired. Like he was, the, he was on the team. I first, he was my first group and I was his first yeah. ever basketball coach. So like I've stayed in contact with Danny um, and he obviously went on to have a really good career going forwards. Um, you know, and a other couple of guys like Lewis Champion, who's now playing in the BBL. I coached him when I was at Reading. Uh, Adam Thosby, same thing. He's played in the BBL, played um, played in in Australia in the top league. There, he was at Reading. I don't think he ever played on my team, but you know, a good good group of guys that I I was you know coach for them when they were really young, and got the bug. Um, my final year at Reading was when I kind of transitioned to Barking. Um, Mark had taken the job and, and we basically had an agreement that when he needed another coach that, you know, he would, he would talk to me about it and, and timing just really worked for me. Like I say, the, the playing side, I was one of these players that I have to be a hundred percent into it or I'm not very good. Um, and I was starting to see myself be less motivated to play and therefore I was getting worse. And then the worse I got, the less motivated I got to play. So it was kind of a vicious cycle going down and it was the, the right thing for me to, to step towards coaching, really. So, so um, as you mentioned, coach, with Barking Abbey, I think it was uh, established 2005, the basketball program, right? And I believe you joined around 2006, is that correct? Yeah, so Mark, um, Mark set the basketball academy up. He, he was there for the first season with the, you know, the first cohort on his own and, and I joined at the end of the first year. Um, so in, in academic terms, I think I, jo I joined at Easter of, of the first year. So when Joe Ickenwin was there, uh, he was part of the first group. Um, yeah, Easter, Easter of that year, I joined Mark um, just to kind of get transitioned into being in the school and things like that with a, you know, to then start the following year because we had the second group of kids so essentially in that first year, there was only kids in year 12. So as they moved up, there'd be more, more kids coming involved. And I joined to help Mark. So, you know, pretty much from day one, there was, you know, a period of about six, eight months where he was doing it on his own without me. But yeah, from that point all the way through till last summer, there was myself and Mark there all, all the time. How, how were the first years of Barking Abbey? Because it is to me one of the premier academies in the UK, you know, uh, very well structured, uh, clear pathways for athletes to progress. Uh, you've got women's programs, men's programs. It's an excellent form in terms of actual basketball academy. Uh, but the beginning years, which a lot of people probably didn't see, how was that? Was it, was it quite a struggle to recruiting? Was it um, putting in things into place, but must have had a lot of work? So no, at the time there was very few basketball academies. Um, so they had first mover advantage in that sense. There, there were academies, but but they weren't structured in the same way. So Hackney College had a really strong program at the time, but it was it was very different to Barking. You know, Hackney College essentially was a a club team where guys would turn up and they would practice, and then that would be it. They would you know get a lot of the talented kids from London playing for them. Barking was a lot more structured in, in that the, the kids would all go to the school. They were all there every day. They'd be working out during the day. Um, you know, I think the, the major difference is the competition structure back then was there was one, there was one competition, the under 19 schools competition, which was a knockout competition. So, so that was it. Like that was the only thing we played. 
Um, and, and at the time when, when Barkin was first established, the idea was always to work alongside other National League clubs. So, you know, all of the players that claim, came to us were all playing for other clubs. So a lot of the guys would be playing for East London Royals. There were some that were at Hackney Whitehead or, you know, other clubs of the time. And, you know, these, these players would come to Barkin, they would do practice during the day, they would stay after school and have team practice. Then alongside that, they would also go to their, their clubs and then play National League for those clubs in the, you know, junior age groups and everything. So, you know, in the early stages, clubs were really supportive of what we were trying to do. They were, you know, really kind of helpful. So Humph Long, who was at uh, East London Royals at the time, supported, was happy. You know, I know when Mark was recruiting that first group, um, you know, was happily promoting us to them. Um, and it worked both sides. It, it helped East London Royals because their players were getting better. It was really good for us to, you know, get their quality of player. I think that, you know, Mark did a really good job in the first year. He got a couple of, of good players, which really helped. Um, you know, to guys like John Johnson, who are, who's still playing now at Westminster, Follow Adelecki, Joe Ickenwin, Ricky Broadmoor, who's coaching at Barkin, uh, Ben Russell, who went on to play in the US. Um, i trying to think, Bodie, uh, who's playing at Hemel. They were all part of the first group that were at, at Barkin. So they had a lot of talent and, and I mentioned Joe and I think that they did a really good job kind of first year in establishing everything at Barkin, um, establishing the, the academy within the school structure, their commitment, their, you know, the way they were with the teachers and the way they were around the school, I think did a really good job of having people realise what they were trying to achieve. It wasn't just, you know, some kids coming to play basketball. It was highly motivated student athletes. Um, and so I think that really, the first group really cemented in. Um, and then it, it kind of evolved over the, over the years. Um, you know, East London Royals obviously ceased to exist in the future. Um, same for the programs at Hackney. They majorly dropped off and folded. And, and we were left with a lot of kids that weren't actually playing National League. Um, probably three or four years later, this was... You know, we were getting kids in and, and they didn't have anywhere to play. So they were practicing with us every day and, and they would play five, ten games a year in the school's competition and that would be it. There wouldn't be anywhere else. So at that point, that's when we started to look at National League opportunities and, you know, trying to help them find either men's teams or, or you know, we eventually evolved into putting in our own club teams to give them the opportunity to play somewhere else. Um, and again, to start with, the vision was always, they would still play on their clubs. If they didn't have a game, they could play with us. If, a, if somebody didn't have a club that they played on, they could play with us. Um, it was never something that was truly competitive for us, especially on the boys' side. Um, so, you know, we had a lot of boys that would still be playing Junior National League, um, and then if they were on the 19s or if they couldn't play that, they would play Division 4 with us. Um, and we were always kind of a mid-tier Division 4 team uh, with kids floating in and out each week, depending on their, their schedules with the club teams that they played on. Um, and I think Basketball England liked it. Um, there was one year where we had Ryan Martin, Teddy Orica for a really good group who were all playing for Westminster in under 18s and they were also playing division four with us uh, and they won the under 18s with Westminster with Jackson Gibbons coaching um, and, and they'd played division four with us and then the next year new rules were announced that essentially I felt parking happy players weren't allowed to do this <laughs> anymore I mean maybe that isn't the rule but yeah they refused to allow us to do it and it started to create conflict of you know, kids and where they could play and what opportunities they could have, it, it really cut down on it. Um, so, yeah. um, and as you mentioned, because when I was growing up, the school games weren't as half as competitive as the National League games at all. And there was no real league structure. So it probably goes on to, you know, when 2014, the inaugural EABL, uh, you guys were actually the first champions crowned, correct? Um, I don't even know. Um, 
Yeah, I can tell you. Were we first, or did Harris Academy? Was that the EABR? I can't remember when it changed. Um, I think Harris won it in twenty thirteen, but it was still. Um, I forgot the name of it, but it was an EABL, yeah. Okay, I think but yeah. The first season where it actually got branded. I okay, believe yeah, so. That was the first year it was a good, like they put a crowd mm. done and it was at UEL, yeah. So quite possibly that was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how was that feeling? I mean, to have, I mean, the EABL has definitely expanded and grown over the years, you know, with crossover, statistics, more coverage around. Um, it's great for the students, don't you think? And in, in terms of Barking Abbey, um, I think you went on to win that 2017 and 2018 as well. How's it like having that uh, kind of, in a way, uh, EABL game into, league, sorry, into the programme? Yeah, I mean... Um... I love uh, the EPL is a great, great com concept. It's a great competition. I think in those early years, there, you know, it was really driven by the coaches that were involved um, all through the country. They did, they just, you know, everybody was was keen to just push it forward. Um, and I think Charlie Ford and, and Basketball England did a really good job of kind of allowing the coaches to drive it and and kind of establish everything and then. Charlie facilitated that to put all of those standards in place. You know, for the first time ever, you had a group of coaches that were full-time coaches um, through the academy structure. They were all funded really well. Um, and that allowed us to put in standards to try and drive it um, and get it to the level it was. So, yeah, it was really exciting. Um, and, yeah, for the kids, I think, you know, it was good as well, um, you know, to get, competition all the time um, for them to be able to play against their peers at Barking. We obviously used to play men's national league, which is great for the level and kind of a competitive stance for them to be at. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to play against men rather than against, um, you know, kids your own age. It, it, it's a different development. Um, and we were always conscious of, of that as well. Um, the trouble you have though is within England, the, the number of quality players, it means that, you know, the number of games that you have of that level are quite limited. So, you know, we, we decided we'd rather play in men's leagues than in youth competitions where you might get two or three really good games a year. So I think the EABL, um, I know they're looking at, at making changes to that going forwards. And I think it's probably is time to do something else. Um, you know, I think that the idea behind it and the concepts and like, I could say everything there. It, it's great. It needs another kick now, I think, to just push it on again because for what it's done up until this point, it's been brilliant. And then, yeah, I'm a big believer on things constantly evolving. So, yeah, I think they've got to find a way. That the next step now for, for that league will be great. So, um, I agree, Coach. I think it's, it's great that the, the league evolves. Um, and it's great that these platforms out there for, for academies. Um, and there's many more college teams now. You look at the ABL, the standard of ABL really, really improved in the past few years as well. Um, so uh, going on to, I think 2014 was when you took the head coach role at the Kent Crusaders. Um, and this was your D1 season, I think. Um, it's quite an impressive one as well, Coach. Speak more about how that role came about. Um, yeah, it's a convoluted story, really. The, um, you know, in the past, I said, we, we try to uh, help all of our kids play for other National League teams at Barking. So one of the clubs that we had, we had actually helped kids play for was Kent um, back when they were in Canterbury. So Ricky Broadmore and uh, Dan Garrard at the time were looking for opportunities. And I spoke to Jesse Sazan and, and kind of, one of them, I think it must have been Dan, drove at the time. So they were able to be mobile and get around. Um, and they ended up going and playing for Kent. And then Ricky stayed after graduating school at, at Barking and carried on playing and coaching for Kent. So we'd always had a good relationship and tried to facilitate um, there. And, and Jesse, you know, I spoke to Jesse and essentially uh, the club, you know, they were in a position where they, they were struggling to to you know, be competitive in a, in a variety of levels. And uh, he ended up sort of asking if we had any players that might be interested in going and, and playing for their team. Biggest problem was that, at, you know, that time, the, the kids we had, none of them were mobile. So for them to get to Kent was 
really awkward. They weren't able to do it. And I said, well, I just don't see how it works um, that we could get them there, the, the guys that would really help. Um, and he ended up, you know, they were going to fold the team in Division One. Um, and so essentially we decided that we came to an arrangement that, you know, we would take a couple of their players that could get to Barking and start to practice at Barking and then players, the Kent Crusaders, essentially with, with Barking kids. Um, it kept their team alive in the middle of the season, was really good for, for our guys, um, you know, who, who've got a really good playing outlet. So we did that one year um, and that was like the second half of the year. Then the following year was the year where we, you know, the first kind of full-time year in Division One. We had an ex exceptional group at, at Barking. Um, you know, Josh Steele, Calvin Kintu, Dwayne Araja, um, Carolus Kondrotus, Nathan Smith, Akwazi Yaboa, Oshin Curlin. Um, you know, it was a group, I'm trying to think if I've uh, forgotten it, Kwame Yaboa played as well, Reese Pinnock. So, you know, the group that we had, we had four of them went on to sign Division One. There was about number three. Three went on to play in the US. Um, and then like Reese stayed, went to Loughborough, was won five straight Bucks medals, I think. Um, you know, he's been an incredible player for Leicester and, and Loughborough. Um, so yeah, so we we had that group all together. Um, we started the year, we, we had uh, an American called Dow Jock, um, who <laughs> uh, he played at University of Pennsylvania. Uh, where Simeon Esprit, who was a, a former Barking player, had gone. Simeon called me in the summer and said, oh, one of my, one of my teammates is, is coming to London to study. So he's looking for a team. Can you help him? And I said, okay, well, there's not really many teams. I'll ask around. And I tried asking at, at Lions, but Dow's numbers at, at, at Penn weren't good enough for him to be a, a BBL player. Um, so I said to Simeon, look, you know, I can't find him anything. We obviously got a team. If he wants to play, he can just come play with us. Uh, so he was already enrolled. Or everything was sorted. He went to Goldsmiths University. Uh, he stayed in the halls at Goldsmiths. And um, yeah, like I, I asked the coaches at Penn if they could send me some footage so I could watch him play. They literally sent three clips of him scoring. And that was it. That was the only time I'd seen him play um but you know for us we had a team and and we we said oh yeah like he can just come across uh no problem at all he was absolutely fantastic just uh you know on court and off court is one of the the best people i've ever met um and we started the season with with the guys at the academy and dow and that was our team um and he uh just you know he was such a leader within the group he was so good with the kids that I think he installed a real belief amongst them in the, the early stages of the league. And, you know, for someone who had not seen play, he was incredible at, at Division One. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I remember he, in the first five games of Division One, I think he had 35 threes in the first five games. Wow. And he fouled out in nine minutes of one game. So, you know, first game he had like four. He, he, he went seven for seven against Worthing. I remember that. I mean, he was just an incredible shooter. Um, and yeah, really, really helped us off at the start of the season. Kind of installed a big belief in the kids, like I said. And, and you know, we then, uh, we'd always anticipated bringing in an American. And we finally got a good one. He came at Christmas and... Uh, he played one game before Christmas uh, with with Dow and Tolo was his name at Manchester, and we won at Manchester, who were kind of the the lead leaders, the best team at that time. And then uh, we went into Christmas break; everything was good. We, I was really pleased with how we were doing. And then Dow called me over Christmas, was like, "Yeah, coach, look, I'm not going to play anymore. My knee's really bad." Uh, he he had aspirations of going into the military and he's actually in the US military now. Um, and he said, they've told me that I need to rest it and get it right. Otherwise I won't get through physical training with the the military and I'll, I'll, I'll get kind of, you know, I won't be able to fulfill that dream. So he ended up not playing second half of the year and we just had Toller to replace him. 
Um, but Dow had just done such a job psychologically with the team that had you know, great belief and, and we just carried on with momentum going through the year, um, you know, into the playoffs, did really well. Uh, we reached the final four and we, we, again, fortune for us, it was the year that um, Basketball England, um, the Home Office started to enforce the rules of work permits. So we reached the final four and all of a sudden, anybody who was in the country on a student visa as an international wasn't able to play um, in the final four. So it meant, you know, Manchester lost a player that they had who was one of their best players. Uh, um, I think I think Derby as well also lost one of their Americans. So if I remember, it was us, Leopards, Derby and Manchester were the four teams in the final four. So we kind of went in and, and we were lucky we didn't lose anybody. Uh, we had a lot of momentum going in to the season uh, or into the playoffs. And... Uh, yeah, we beat Leopards in the semi-final. Then we played well Manchester in the final and, and won. Um, and yeah, just an incredible year with an incredible group, really, in Division One. So there's those guys plus plus Toller as the Bark and Abbey team. Um, all of them 19. And uh, yeah, we won the won the playoffs. Yeah, excellent, excellent memories. Really good. It's an amazing feat, coach. I mean, you got coach of the year that year as well, I believe. Um, and it sounds like. Uh, the players learned a lot from the experience of of that American coming in as well, which is which is amazing. You know that experience, that leadership helps guide the players too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I said, you know, I said to people at the time, Dow, I, you probably won't watch this, but um, you know, I said, I he's the type of guy he could be president. I mean, he could lead anybody. Uh, he was a very intelligent guy, and he still is. Uh, his brother is a fantastic player as well. I just saw his brother signed. Uh, he was, you know, at Iowa, was, I think, played in the NBA briefly. And I was just signed, I think, in, in top league in Germany. He's a, he's a fantastic player as well. But, um, yeah, just, just I think it was the perfect storm of, of Dow being there, giving that inspiration to the guys. It was a group of guys that, you know, a lot of them we'd had for a lot of years. So Josh, Dwayne, Calvin. Um, we had had since they were 13 years of age and now all of them were kind of 18, 19. So they, they had a real understanding of each other, understanding with us. Um, you know, positionally, I thought we had a really good balance across the team as well. We had some big kids on the inside, had great guards and yeah, just all kind of came together. Um, yeah, it was a really, really good time. Really good group of kids. I had you know, excellent memories with on court and off court. Still speak to a lot of them now um, and it's great to see those successful either you know playing as lots of them are or or not playing to be honest like Kwame was on the team and he's a pilot now and and refereeing back in in basketball so mm. yeah just really really proud of all of them really. So you were working at GB uh, shortly or, or during these years as well um, speak more about your role I think you were doing the under 20 straight after as an AC right? Yeah so um, I joined the under twenties. Oh, can't even remember years. Um, so let me think. Um, you know, I joined. Andreas Kapoulis was the head coach. Um, yeah, Andreas is a guy I'd known for a long time. Um, and yeah, just timing was right. I, I'd had a family, so never really kind of wanted to get involved in in national teams. And and just the time commitment was such that it never been right, or the the opportunity with a group of uh, coaches would was one that interested me um but then yeah the opportunity came with it was actually James Veer who was working with me at Barkin who had stepped away that gave an assistant coach's job um with Andreas and I I applied and, and was given a job first year was you know fantastic I really enjoyed it we had Andreas as the head coach Josh Merrington as the assistant um and yeah just great memories it was the generation of, of players was a really strong barking cohort as well. So in actual fact of the 12 kids that played in that year, six of them were either current or former students of, of barking. So, you know, as guys that I'd worked with for a long time. So again, that group of, you know, Josh Steele, Akwazi Yaboa, guys I'd kind of 
gone from having a young age all the way through winning Division One. They were then playing in that team as well. And yeah, another kind of year or experience where everything just came together nicely. Like the guys really gelled, got along really well, had a really good group. Um, we we lost the first game that we played against Holland and we were terrible. And in fact, in actual fact, if I remember, we went we went to Portugal and we, we were awful. Uh, Finland smashed us uh, really badly in a warm-up game. I was, I was really worried. We played the first game against the Netherlands and they beat us and, and we were kind of looking like we weren't going to do very well and all of a sudden we're, you know, we had one good performance and then just used the back of, of momentum and just carried on playing. And by the end of the tournament, you know, we were playing really well. We lost to Croatia in the semi-finals. Um, but we played Russia, who had played in the group game and beaten in the, the third and fourth playoff to get promoted to A division. And, you know, they were a team we, ju- we just matched up well with. Like, they, they really struggled to guard us in certain areas of the floor. And, you know, we were confident going in that, that what we had done in the first game we would be able to do again. Um, and, yeah, like the guys, yeah, they played just really well. Um, Akwazi had a great, great tournament, was um, an all-star pick, but all, all through the roster, we had a lot of guys that, um, you know, were very good in their roles. So they would come in and they would do the job that we needed. And that's why I said they kind of grouped together. Um, then with the, the second year, Andreas uh, decided to step down. Uh, Mark Stutel took in, uh, stepped in. He's, you know, a fantastic coach. Um, and again, had a really good, really good summer. Um, it was a lot harder than the year before. You know, the balance of the team was tough. We had, you know, a lack of, of bigs, and and the, you know, then we had some injuries as well with the bigs that we did have. So it was tough. Some guys had to play out of position and battled, and you know, we were really struggling. We got a, a big win against Greece, essentially kept us up. Um, meant we stayed in A division, which was was the ambition uh, I think we won one more game or two more games after that as well so yeah another good summer worked with some good kids and, and enjoyed it worked with with good coaches again in Mark and, and Josh so the second year I was with the under 20s I combined that with the the senior men um, Tony Garbalotto was appointed as the head coach um, Tony is a guy that you know I've known he, he was coaching when I was playing so We'd known each other a lot um, through the years. And uh, he was keen, I think, to, you know, after the previous regimes where a lot of the coaching staff were foreign coaches and there was no development, he was keen to try and get English coaches involved and, and help progress English coaches. So, you know, I was lucky that he brought me in essentially as, you know, as an assistant coach to help out, um, to be there to learn and to watch and, and you know, just kind of get that experience. Um, but it, there was a lot of changes in my time in GB. Uh, seemed like every window was something slightly different. There were new, new people in, new people out, which made it really hard. Um, but, yeah, good experience to, for me at, at that level and, you know, dealing with some of the players. You know, we had some former Barking players that I knew when they were young and hadn't coached since. Um, and, yeah, some great experiences. I remember two games against Greece where we lost on the buzzer in Leicester, my first my first cap as a, a co- you know assistant coach. And then on the road in Greece, we were down one with about a minute to go. We had a real chance to win there as well. Um, yeah, so good experience. Um, I stepped down from the under twenties, and then um, you know just because of the commitment more than anything. And then, um, you know, with the senior national team, changes meant that I was no longer required. Although it would have been nice of them to communicate slightly better. <laughs> yeah. Um, did Coach Tony coach against you when you were younger then, um, when he was at Towers? Yeah. So, Tony, let me think. When I was under 16s, we won the national championships against London Towers. Mm. And Joe White was the head coach of the Towers, and Tony was his assistant coach. So yeah, yeah, a long, a long time ago <laughs> that was. Um, 
And with the, with the GB experience, when I speak to, to coaches, they always, um, it's kind of like a unique story they tell. Is it, do you, is it kind of a, an experience that, of course, coaching at academies is great. You know, you see them grow and then, and, and you, you know, coaching at that uh, program is, is always fulfilling, but GB gives something else. Uh, every time I speak to a coach that's coached at that level, it's always a positive experience. It's always something quite inspiring. Um, I don't know how to put it into words, coach. Uh, you probably know the words much more better than me. <laughs> I don't know if I can put it into words. Yeah, I, I mean, it is... You know, it is a, a fantastic experience. Like I say, I mean, I listen to Topaz talk uh, with here with you, and, and you know, the European European Championships at the youth level is is definitely it's a, you know it's a really tough coaching job. Uh, yeah, you know, and and it's just not made easier by GB essentially. Not not necessarily anybody or any. Thing by the fact that we're British and the, the scenarios that we're given. Um, you know, I, I, I can have countless stories of we played um, the second year when we were playing A Division in Germany. We played Germany in a warm-up game. And, um, you know, that our top scorer at the time was Caleb Fuller, who was, who was at Barking. Um, you know, he played really well and he was matched up against a, a guy called Costa Machini, who was at um mega b max at the time i said well there's a difference you know caleb's having to pay some rent to live in barking and um uh you know costa is on a you know tens of thousands a year contract playing in serbia in the adriatic league and we're wondering why you know those players are ahead of our players like you know it's it's light years um and even then Israel, who won the under-20s that year, they had two months preparation. So for two months, they were together and we had two weeks. Um, so obviously, they were fire, you know, a, a well-drilled machine who looked like they'd been together for a long time, and, and we didn't. Um, there was so much. The kids would look at us and we'd be trying to teach them on the fly just because we never had a chance to kind of get to that level of detail or tell them what to do. They would just have to react. And, you know, that's credit to the players doing what they do, going in and kind of still competing at that level, even though they are drastically underprepared, which is, like I say, I, I won't blame GB for that. That's um, just something that we need to change or try and change somehow if we want to compete until we do. This is where we'll be, the level we're at right now. It's, it must be an amazing feeling as well to see your players progress to that level. As you said, you've seen them from probably around 12 to 13, isn't it? All the way to, to representing GB. Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, I, yeah, I get proud dad moments. <laughs> Lots of them, to be honest. Like, uh, but as, as I said to you, like, in, in many ways, like, I, I remember um, us doing a promotional video uh, maybe even in the first year and Joe Ickenwin saying, you know, asking us asking Joe about, you know, talk about the coaches and how it is and everything um, for, for us to promote the Academy. And he said, Oh, you know, coaches, I, I spend more time with the coaches than I do with my family. Um, you know, and, and, and I, that will always stick with me. And I think about it and I go, oh, yeah, like I spend more time with the players at Barking than I spend with anybody else at that time. So, you know, you get really close to people, you're attached, you know, you help them. Um, you, you have a lot, a lot to do with their development and they ask you for advice and you get a lot back from, from lots of them as well. So, um, yeah, from a basketball side, obviously I'm, I'm proud when they go on and they achieve at any sort of level. And then, but at the same time, like there's a lot of other guys that I look at and I'm proud of, you know, their development off court as well, as well. So, you know, you, there are guys, I'm sure, like if they hadn't have come to Barking, I'm convinced they wouldn't be where they are now because they were on a path or they were doing things that wasn't going to help them. They learned discipline and, you know, they really got focused on basketball and studying and everything like that. And even if they don't turn out to be a, an NBA player or a famous basketball player, they're now fine citizens, you know. As I said, we've got pilots, we've got teachers, we've got accountants, you know, you name it, our, our players guys own restaurants um you know they've come through the 
the, the school and, and yeah, I'm proud of all of them, to be honest. Um, but yeah, being a basketball coach is always great when you get to, to watch them play and see them at college in the States or back here playing for national teams, anything like that. When they're recognised, it's, yeah, really proud of, of them and pleased to see them doing really well. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity that we as coaches get to see the journey, isn't it, as, as they call it. Um, so as you mentioned about the standards of GB and the basketball here in the UK, um, I think Barking Abbey took a, a, a great step forward in entering the Adidas Next Generation tournament. I think that's invaluable experience for the players going out there. Um, what was the, the kind of process behind that? Was it something that you had, uh, the academy had planned for a while or was it just um, something that just came about and you went and, and did it on that year? Yeah, so obviously that was when I'd left, like I wasn't involved um, in the actual trip. But we had, we had participated before in, in the same tournament. So, oh God, I'm terrible at years, but um, I think it was 2010, we, we hosted one of the qualifying events for the EuroLeague. Uh, so we hosted it in, in a sports centre in East London that no longer exists. Um, and you, we had ourselves, we had Gran Canaria, we had Maccabi Tel Aviv, we had Union Olympia from Slovenia, um, Zadar from Croatia, um, Kimki from Russia. So we had, you know, those eight teams uh, had participated in our tournament and, and we did really well. Actually, I like to tease James because we finished higher in that tournament than we did <laughs> in the one that they just played in. But uh, they all seem to forget that. Um, but yeah, so when we hosted, we had, we had a really good team. Uh, we were thin on the ground with numbers. But Teddy Orica four played. Um, Jesse Chuku is now playing for Leicester Riders. Raphael Thomas Edwards is now playing for... Bristol Flyers, um, Simeon Esprit, who, who went to college in the States, played one year for Derby, uh, was there. Um, and then Josh Johnson, who was um, you know, a guy who's played for lots of National League teams. They were the kind of main core of, of guys that we had playing. And then a lot of younger guys. Um, so ever since that point, we'd always been actively involved with the EuroLeague. Every year they, they ask for expressions of interest. The biggest issue is that the... EuroLeague tournament is done by years born. So because of that, often at Barking, because it's done by school years, we'd always have a selection of players that wouldn't have been able to play because they might be born before Christmas or be in the under-19 age group. And when you broke down the teams, often we'd look at it and go, well, we've got a really good team, but we don't have any big guys that are able to play. So like the first three big guys might have been under 19 or might have been born before Christmas. So they're born in the wrong year or we might not have any point guards. So, you know, year on year, there'd been odd years that where we had applied um, and said, oh, well, maybe we'd be okay this year. Um, but it never really worked out. Um, and, and yeah, it just so happens that um, actually off the back of a, a couple of guys that Barkin had recruited and we had going, uh, that's that's why we had applied again. A couple of those guys ended up leaving and not staying around before the tournament. Um, so they they were able to bring in the, the guest players in, in Cam Hildreth and Elijah Walsh and, and Giovanni. Uh, obviously helped them. But yeah, you know, Barkin had good players that couldn't play in the EuroLeague tournament because of the year they were like Louis Norton uh, couldn't play because of, of his age. Um, and that's always the thing that let us down as, as to playing in that particular tournament. Um, you know, having said that, we'd always travelled a lot. So um, it was always from, from year one, um, we'd always intended to travel, always talked about being, you know, competing against teams from Europe. Uh, Barking used to host a tournament every year, um, you know, starting in 2005, actually, the first year. They ran a tournament uh, and kind of continued it on. So we had some really good players that played in those tournaments. Um, and then we travelled always um, and played against really good teams. So the last few years, we'd gone to uh, Spain in pre-season using Erasmus funding um, and played Real Madrid, Estudiantes, um, 
you know, a lot of big club teams from Madrid. So they, we always, you know, when I was there, it was always a, a massive thing to try and challenge against European, the best teams and put ourselves in those brackets. So yeah, it just worked nicely for them. Um, I've got no idea if they've applied you, what will go on next year, whether they'll look to apply again, but I, I know it will get, it will go back to the, the age group of the players that they've got coming in and whether they feel like uh, they've got a complete team or whether there's massive holes in a roster um, with them, with them entering. So. I mean, it's, it's a great direction. The, the program's always heading um, and it's a good example of, of great British possible standards that um, a lot of academies such as myself, even running programs at uni, we, we look at the model and we're always so impressed at what they do at BA. Um, looking at kind of your timeline, coach, you've uh, slowly, after, after barking, you've got a good opportunity to work uh, at the BBL level. Um, within the first month, you got the coach of the month, which was uh, an amazing uh, feet to, to to just transition straight into the BBL level. How was that for you as coaching at the City Royals and how did that opportunity came about? Um, yeah, opportunity, great. I, love, I loved it, um, however short-lived it was, to be honest. Uh, the opportunity came, you know, literally I, I was approached by them and, and people that were involved to ask if I'd be interested. So met with the owner. Um, and it, and it went from there, really offered me the, the job. Um, I felt, I, I love barking. Um, I still love barking. It's a place dear to my heart. I was obviously there for so long, but, you know, I just felt I, I needed, well, there was two, two things. I felt I wanted another, a new challenge, something a little different after being at Barking for 13 years, something to really kind of motivate me. Um, and, and I also decided, well, if I didn't take the job at Royals at that time, or when would I ever leave Barking? Um, it was an opportunity to coach in the professional game, which is, you know, really the only step up in my eyes from the academy structure. So, you know, it was an opportunity to step up at a higher level. I didn't have to move. I didn't have to travel. Didn't have to uproot any of my family or anything along those lines. So, you know, all the kind of boxes were ticked. So, yeah, I loved it. Um, you know, I... Th Obviously, things didn't end the way I wanted them to, and you know, the last month or so was was really tough. But we had a great, again, the the group of players um, I thought were exceptional, uh, talented, but just good people as as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff they had to put up with from from day one, and you know, going onwards, that all, all of them, all of the players, just looked after each other, and and you know, I have a lot of respect for them and the way they dealt with, with everything, um, even in those last few games where uh, we were just kind of plugging holes and doing whatever we could to put a team on the floor. And yet still we were competitive and, and did really well. So, yeah, I've got nothing but fond memories, to be honest, and a, a kind of a frustration that I felt, you know, we had a, an opportunity to do really well. The way we had started, the way I felt we were playing, I was confident that we were, you know, we were going to be successful. So... Yeah, it's a shame that that never got to kind of realise itself more than anything. And, you know, I enjoyed the uh, fresh experience of coaching at a professional level. So uh, disappointed that that's, you know, that that kind of was ended. And there were players on that, that roster that you're, you're familiar with, isn't it? From from the GB scene, from the UK scene. Yeah, so um trying to think. So we, we had a couple of guys that... Um, you know, I played on the national, the senior national team, Will Saunders um, and Andrew Lawrence, who were there when I, I was part of the programme. We also had Obi and Carl Carey, who had played on the under-20 team when I was there as well. So, you know, had those, um, those guys and, and most of the other guys I'd kind of known from around at various points, whether I'd coached them or not, you know, um, yeah, so it, it, I, again, I was I was pleased. I thought we'd put together a, a balanced roster. I thought we had good experience. I thought, you know, everything was going to go well. And, and even with a really good start, we'd played a lot of that time without Andrew Lawrence, who you know, I think is an incredible basketball player and, you know, is a, kind of a joy to have in the BBL. And I felt like when we kind of got over him coming back in and him getting back to his best, I thought we had a real opportunity. So... 
frustrating. And it's same with Will Saunders. You know, he played the last game of the season he played. Um, and that was it. Like, um, and, and we, apart from that, he hadn't played. So we never really, we never played a game with our full roster on the floor, which was a, a shame. Andrew Lawrence is a, is a great leader. So it's a great person to have at that, as you said, that one spot and someone to build a team around and, and carry in a way. Um, so a lot of questions are usually asked um, about PPL quality. So that a lot of people always ask you coaching at both pretty much all levels in the UK, uh, especially BBL and D1. Do you think there is a big difference between the D1 National League and BBL? I think that's one of the questions everyone always asks. Uh, no, if I'm honest. I, I, would, I would argue... Yeah, the, the, there's good, there's there's a lot of coaches in Division One who could coach in the BBL without a shadow of doubt in my mind. You know, I found the you know I've, I again slightly different because when I coached in Division One, most of the time we were towards the bottom end of the league with less talent than everybody else. Um, mm. And then I was I was lucky when I, when we were in the BBL. Obviously, we weren't financially stable, but we were spending more money than lots of teams. So I was at the other end. So we we had a lot of talent. Um, but yeah, I generally found that in Division One there was a lot of, of exceptional coaches. You know, very, very good coaches. Um, you know, I've talked about. I I think that there's you know steps the BBL needs to take. I think that that that's the next step in my in my mind. You know, there's there's obviously how they can turn this number of people that you know are, are reportedly active participants in basketball. How can they turn them into spectators? But I also think the kind of the other services, so coaching, uh, medical, those type of things are, are massively underrepresented in the uh, underrepresented in the BBL, and that's probably the next thing for them to try and grow into, uh, to value coaching more, and then to value support services uh, more than they do, like looking after the players medically, physically, all that type of stuff. I mean, it was it was, a, it was a great run with the City Royals. I think you actually won your last game as well. I remember watching it, I believe. Um, no, we, we lost so. the last one against Bristol. We beat Surrey. Um, That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, in, we, we beat Surrey in, a, in the midst of, uh, you know, our, our big problems. We had a run of Surrey, then Lions, then Bristol, mm. where, you know, it was really difficult for us. We were literally pulling in... Mm -hmm players and, and begging people to play um so yeah and against sorry i we had and, and again i talked about the character i've talked about character a lot today talked about the character of the players you know we we were due to play sorry and, and will neighbor was was severely ill um before the game he was coughing up blood the day before he was barely able to breathe he played uh Orlan had been injured he played uh, Matt Scott the day before the game said he wasn't going to play and we had to beg him to play um, and he only did it to basically allow everybody else to have a game uh, otherwise we wouldn't have been able to field a team so so yeah I mean for us to win the game against Surrey was incredible and then we put in good performances against yeah I'm sure it's Bristol and Lions with the last two games we put good performances but we just kind of ran out of gas more than anything just didn't have the bodies to carry on competing uh, I think that pretty much sums up the timeline. It's been a great career as a coach. You've had definitely inspiring. You've coached at GB level. Um, you've coached at uh, one of the, the top programs in the UK. Coached at BBL at pretty much every level in the UK. Coach, is there any uh, shout outs that you want to say? I know you mentioned a lot of players, so if they're listening, um, <laughs> you, they got definitely got the shout outs today. No, I don't. Well. Everyone, basically. I mean, there's two, there's, the trouble is, I'm so old now. Like, as she said, you go through all the teams and, and everything. I've, I've name dropped far more than I usually do, to be <laughs> honest. But yeah, I've been blessed to be around and, and be kind of uh, guided and helped and, you know, worked with a lot of great people through you know, my time as a junior, um, my time as a player, my time as a coach, a developing coach. And you know, moving upwards all through Barking and on, onwards. So, yeah, there's probably too many to, to kind of talk about over and over. But, uh, yeah, those, those that are close to me, I'm, I hope know, will know 
how I appreciate them. So, yeah. Thank you, Coach. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Um, it's great to hear the insights. And, and as a coach myself, um, I think we connected a few months ago and, you know, it was a true, in a way, an honour to actually speak with you and learn your story. So thank you for sharing the time, Coach. I do appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. Thanks a lot, Clive. Thank you, Coach. Um, yep, yeah, and we'll catch up definitely soon. Uh, take care. Thank you.